like realizing that it's gonna take a while and being okay with that time frame and not trying to rush yourself. If you're not there yet, you're not there yet and you're not gonna get there. And I think the last few years I was like, I'm not there, like, well, I'm not there, I'm working so hard. And then I realized now I'm starting to get there and now I'm starting to see what I'm capable of. And just that amount of time that you put makes the reward so much more delicious and it makes it worthwhile. And so I think if someone came to me three years ago and told me, just let it, let it ride. That was something that was really important for me as I've continued to grow and then Lastly, as a third point, I think to remember that you do have to still have outside experiences outside of your work in order to make your work happen. Like all my songs are about personal experiences of mine, whether it's like someone broke my heart or something bad happened. Like those are all things that you need to experience and you need to make time to experience them. So you can't just be like in some ways, like you have to have content for you're writing and you have to have content for like your creation. So it's, there is a healthy amount of life you should be experiencing. Don't say no to the guy or the girl that likes you because you don't think you have space for them. What, whatever relationship that might come out of it serves you in that moment in time. And you don't have, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing game. Like I see so many musicians being like, I don't have space for a relationship right now. And I'm like, you might be saying no to the best thing that's happened to you ever and you might be saying no to an experience that could really elevate your music and so don't say no to that and go go to that party like whatever go experience those things so you have something to say because i think if you're just sitting at your desk all the time you might not experience those things and your music might be fucking boring <laughs> you know yeah and personally for me i've always been a hard lover like i fall hard even with my friends like i give them 140 percent it's like overwhelming to a lot of people and i finally found like my little niche of people that are like okay with how much <laughs> how invested i get in them and stuff yeah. but i think ultimately like it's okay to live life a little bit because it'll only help you and as long as you know where your boundaries are with it in a healthy way i think that's that's all you can do Welcome everybody to the Baking Notes, Notes podcast. podcast. Actually, this is a, this is another episode of people who are at Bat's next birthday party or, or friends of Johan. <laughs> <laughs> friends Which, of Johan. <laughs> friends of Johan. Is that the subtitle of this uh, this podcast? Bat's next birthday party or friends of Johan. I mean, that's the really only way to be a guest on the show is to perform <laughs> in one of their videos so. or be a faking fam listener. But uh, we digress. This is an incredible episode. Yaz, violinist, singer-songwriter, increasingly maybe even actor. (laughs) Like at the very end of our conversation, she's like, doing music videos makes me realize I have to act now? What is that? (laughs) Like wear a wetsuit and get in a tank and (laughs) spend money on a music video? It's been an episode where we kind of delve into Yaz's origin story, how she got connected with the violin, um, her upcoming EP releases leading up to her album, then also just like her best practices as a music entrepreneur 
and mindsets that have helped her get from, you know, just gigging every single day to being able to afford music videos and build herself as an artist. She really lays out her whole self. She's an open book. She gives 140% to everything. And you can really hear that through her life story, through all the tips and tricks of the trade, and in her music, which you can check out on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram. It's just Yaz, all caps. You're going to love it. Y-A-S, just for specificity. But we say it like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) If you like this episode, recommend it to a friend. Just send him an iMessage voice memo. Making us podcast. And another way to support us, we have a Patreon now. Let's go. Chill. Give us your money. In the bank. (laughs) (laughs) No, like, if you you like what we're doing here, we're both busy. We're trying to build out the infrastructure of this podcast. And if you want to support us monetarily, we would love that. We're developing a Discord channel as we speak to help create a community so you guys can get to know each other too, so you can get access to talk to us on occasion. Uh, We've got a lot of things planned. Um, We're we're getting ready to release some announcements on that, so stay tuned. Thanks again for listening. Our next guest, Yaz. Serving up your body on a plate Talking like a martyr but you're bandit Crocodile water on your face I don't want to be a codependent Andy, I gave you a message, you battled it Passive aggressive, you won't commit Antidepressants, you swim in the wreckage If you're on shit, vision what up, motherfucker? <laughs> what up? Yes. 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 Thank you so much for having me, you guys. I'm excited to talk. Thank you for being here and being willing to talk. Like, I've, uh, Trevor and I, along with our faking fam, have really found a lot of value in just having these conversations and just speaking with people, especially during this time when we're all kind of like separated. <laughs> totally. I feel you. Yeah. But we've been hanging out a little bit. I remember we were just like last week doing a live video shoot for uh, a project you got coming out soon. You want to talk about it a little bit? Sure. I mean, it's a video that's going to encompass six of my first songs of this year. And so the way I'm kind of doing things this year is I'm putting out little mini EPs before the full project. And I can kind of explain to you why I decided to do it that way. I basically, I love all kinds of different music and I love making all kinds of different music. But of course, I've definitely had some pushback industry wise if I'm allowed to do that. Am I allowed to make R&B here and am I I allowed to make pop here and electronic here? And the answer from the people that work in the industry has always been no, which I think is wrong. So I needed to figure out a way to package these in a way that made sense. So what I ended up doing is coming up with this concept of colors so I just put out the color red, and those are two of my more aggressive sounding dark pops, <laughs> right? The next them, one that's coming out, I haven't announced, but I can announce on here. I will Ooh. be releasing on the 15th of April, my next set, Blue. So that's going to be the sadder, mm. more vibey, sad boy shit. And then seven weeks after that comes Purple, which is the R&B stuff. 
And then after that, seven weeks after that comes yellow, which is the more experimental stuff. And then the idea is that at the end, I'm going to put it on an album called Colors. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I, I love how you've broken it down into different packages. And for you, do you feel like the colors represent like the emotions? Yes, in, yes, exactly. In the EPs too? Personally, like I've listen to like other people's albums and I get like really bored when everything kind of sounds the same when it's like the same BPM, when it's the same chords, it's the same mood. I have like music ADD. I'm one of those bitches. I'm always like <laughs> shuffling, shuffling. And one of the things that I love most is like, going to music festivals. And I think one of the reasons everyone enjoys music festivals so much is because there's all kinds of different music depending on what you feel like. So on Friday, you can go hard and go see like an EDM show. And then maybe Saturday, you want to like, relax and like, fall in love to some R&B, whatever, right? And so I wanted to take that concept. Why not do it for an artist in within one set? So this live, the video thing that you and I did last week, it's encompassing the first three mini EPs, which is red, blue, and purple. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Going through with all of these albums, what made you decide to start with Red? Was it just done in time or <laughs> what's the no, strategy? Well, I, th I think in terms of like primary and secondary emotions, I think how we process them too, anger is always the one that comes first, right? Mm. And then comes all the other stuff. And I want to come out with a bang. Let's do some bangers and let's try to get Thank some attention. You. And on top of that, I thought it conceptually made sense as well because of what I what I said about how people go through the different line of emotions. I love that. I love that. Okay, so I remember you were like talking and hopefully you'd be okay with us sharing some of the music in intermittently yeah, throughout definitely. this conversation. But I'm curious as to what, from that set you did in the live stream, which one was like your most did you resonate resonated with or resonate with the most right now in totally. today? Yes, there is. So there's a song called Worth It that is in the blue set that's coming out on the 15th. That song is incredibly personal to me. I kind of wrote it as an open letter to my brother who I haven't spoken to in eight years. And I haven't said that anywhere out loud yet, mm. but that's... That's the idea behind that song. And so it's very emotional for me and saying all the things that I wasn't able to say. And those are still feelings that I feel, obviously, even though a lot of time has passed, I still think about this person and I still have a lot of things I want to say to him. So it's very healing in some ways that I'm going to get to put this out because I get to say my piece in the only way I know how to. So for right now, that's the most emotional one for me. It took a lot of practice to try not to cry. I was crying like, <laughs> bitch. I don't know if you remember during rehearsal, just cause it's like, it's so, everything I wrote in it is still so resonating within me. So I still have some moments where I like, feel like I'm about to break down when I'm singing through it. Hopefully I'll get used to it more as I perform it more. But it's hard when you have something that personal. And on top of that, you have three amazing string players that are just like tugging at your heartstrings. You're just like, okay, <laughs> this is too much. This is too much. You know what, for me, just as a listener, not even just as a, a collaborator, but as a listener and a person who is drinking in the art, I think that's the secret sauce. And I, I, I'm so glad that you're able to share that with the faking fam because oftentimes we as artists, we're like trying to make music that we think other people will resonate with. 
But sometimes, at least for me, I like resonate with you in your pain and and in the message that, that you want to send to somebody that you can't seem to quite reach out to. Mm-hmm. And then that translated into the way you sing it, translated into the chords, translated into the delivery. That is all that it factor that makes music extra powerful. I'm so happy to know that on the other side of this. I I wanted to create some context though, because you are a trailblazing artist. You are not only a classically trained string player, but you are developing into a wonderful singer, wonderful songwriter. And these things take time. I'm wondering if we could scroll back a little bit and can you tell us like, and, and just for me, because I don't even know, how did you get into the violin? What drew you to the instrument at okay. first? Yeah, totally. So I initially wanted to play cello. <laughs> my mom's car wasn't big enough. That's literally the only reason I picked violin is because my mom's car wasn't big enough, which is, I think, hilarious. There was this girl that was in my kindergarten and she in kindergarten was really nice to me. I didn't speak English at the time. So she was like my only friend. And she like taught me how to tie my shoelaces and she also played violin. And I was mm. like, wow, I want to be like her. So I ended up like going to her teacher and studying with her for a while. And then I don't think it was up until I was like, I don't know, 13 or 14. When I switched teachers, I, I became more serious. And I, I started teach I started studying with this lady named Fudeko Takahashi and she's crazy she like she's won the dorothy delay award she's definitely done like the tchaikovsky competition and whatever she used to study with dorothy delay that's what it was and she's just amazing and she really helped me tap into some deeper stuff and i started accelerating my growth as a violinist the minute i switched with her and then after that i started i went to nec pre-college and i started being around all these musicians that were really, really good, like a next level. And I I was getting to a point where I was rivaling them. Like I got Mm -hmm. a pretty good seat in orchestra and I was really enjoying the music they were playing. And I was at one point, like all I was doing was orchestra. I had one orchestra on Saturdays, one orchestra on Sundays. We'd go (laughs) on tour every year, like alternating between the two orchestras and we'd get to go all over the world, which is great. Like such a beautiful experience to be able to do that on someone else's dime. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Shout outs. No shout outs. No. Other people's dime. No shout outs. Is this, is this in the uh, Boston area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did the New England Conservatory. They had this orchestra called YPO. And mm-hmm. the other orchestra was called the Boston Youth Symphony. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that they, they knew that they were rivaling and they had some people that did both. And so they would alternate tour years. So one year would be NEC, the next year would be the Boston Youth Symphony. And uh, they were definitely different vibes in terms of the types of people that would do it. YPO was incredibly competitive. And a lot of people that went to Walnut Hill as a high school went oh there. Oh my God, everyone. God, yeah. yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, yeah the, I would say playing wise, the level was much higher at YPO. That being said, Boston Youth Symphony definitely fostered a more of an environment where you can be happy and grow and be be friends with each other and like in a real way. And I still have friends from the Boston Youth Symphony that I keep in touch with. And I think ultimately like the different vibe 
kind of catered into what kind of relationships you had there. And so I did that and I was gung-ho on being a classical violinist until I got to college, right? My dad wanted me to get what he calls a proper education. So <laughs> Air quotes. Air quotes for the listeners. Well, yeah, it's it's my my dad's definitely like a super he works in the the field of oil and energy and clean renewables and stuff. So he's very on the STEM side mm-hmm. of things. And to him, the idea of me not going to a university university was would be failure. I had, I still have, they're not dead or anything. I have two immigrant parents that they moved to America to achieve the dream with like $35 in their pocket. And they, they gave up a lot of stuff for me. And so mm-hmm. I definitely felt a kind of pressure to really make sure that they felt like their investment was going into good use. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I ended up applying to a bunch of universities And what ended up happening is because I only did violin, a lot of those universities didn't really care. So I I got rejected by a bunch and I felt super defeated. And I was like, oh my God, what what do I even do? And I got accepted to UCLA where they had a music program and a political science program that I ended up double majoring in. And so I went there and I ultimately think it was the best fit for me as a person and for my growth to get away from my home area and like just go across the country and try to figure it out. And yeah, so that's how I got to UCLA. Mm -hmm. And I did the double major thing. I was kind of double majoring in the idea of like international law and international relations was like my poli-sci major. And then I did violin performance. One thing I was kind of bummed about is that no jab to UCLA at all, but coming from an NEC kind of level players to there was definitely a change. I felt not as challenged as before. And I feel like a lot of my colleagues felt that way as Mm -hmm. well. But it was perfect because that way there wasn't too much pressure and I could have the entire university experience where I could make some friends, I could go party, I could do this Mm -hmm. double major thing that was taking up an incredulous amount of time. And then that's when I started realizing, oh, there's more than classical music. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that realization like earth shattering? Wait, what? (laughs) I think what happened is that in like junior year or so, you start to think about, okay, what's after this, Mm -hmm. right? And then you realize that there are really only three or four ways to make it as a classical musician. It's to kill someone that has tenure in an orchestra and then take their spot. There you go. It's to practice however, 12 hours a day to try to become a soloist and have no life. It's to try and create some sort of group that performs together that probably won't make enough money and struggle with power dynamics because they're for you. And then the other option is to try to figure out something new, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just realizing how unlikely it was. Because even though I'm good, I wasn't at the level where I was ever going to make it as a soloist. And I knew that about myself. And I also enjoy life too much to to take 12 hours a day to sit there and become obsessive. Mm -hmm. And... I I loved orchestra, but I did I just didn't see that being like what I wanted to do. And so I started thinking about like how can I make a transition, use the skill set that I have in classical music, in violin, and try to transition it elsewhere. And so my first idea, it was 
at the time, I thought a genius idea, but it was an absolutely horrible one. <laughs> uh, I tried to get a group of eight people to like create like a string ensemble slash jazz ensemble mm. that made like electronic music, like a hybrid electronic music. I love that. <laughs> Don't ever put more than three people in a group. <laughs> oh. Okay, tell us why. Well, I just think everyone's going to have different engagement levels when there's that many people. And when no one's getting paid initially, like, what's the incentive other than the person that has that vision, mm -hmm. right? Because you can only bring people into your vision so much, especially if you're just starting and trying to figure it out. So I was trying to make that my focus for a year. And then it just became like increasingly apparent that it just wasn't going to work in this kind of group setting. And I knew that I loved making like new music. I, I knew that I loved creating and being part of the production process. So that's when I was like, okay, well, I guess my next shot is to try and become some sort of artist and singer. And I had been singing, I think I was like 16 or something when I first tried to sing. It was in like my dad's office. And I was like, huh, that's not so bad. It's really not so bad. So I decided like maybe after college, I was like, I should really focus on how do I write a song? How do I... How do I sing properly? I still have things I have to work on in terms of technique vocally. It's, it's hilarious coming from a really experienced 20 plus years of violin background and that kind of technical understanding and to go to this other instrument and like really not have the same kind of backing. It's mm -hmm. totally different as an instrument. Like you cannot even compare. It's like apples and oranges. So my next step right now is to try and figure out like, how I can get to this next level as a singer, technically. But yeah, that's kind of how I got to there. And ultimately, it's been a long time and I feel like I'm finally figuring out what I'm capable of. It's when you're at like the staircase and you're like peeking <laughs> over the next stair. That's, I'm like, okay, I'm here. And I, I'm proud of what I'm making. I think it's really good. There's always room for improvement, but I think it's to a level where it's kind of undeniable at this point. And so I'm really excited to like continue on with this journey of growth of mine and to become a better producer, a better singer, a better writer. And ultimately, like my goal is to create something that other people can connect to. So like that song about my brother it goes around the overall idea of like abandonment, which so many people can relate to. And like, you could take that story and like, put it in your own narrative. And I think ultimately that's what I want to do is make music that makes people feel understood and heard and connected when i was like six or so i heard my first coldplay song and i remember being like wow they understand me and they know me and that was such a <laughs> it was that was such a powerful moment because i was like how cool would it be if i was able to do that for someone else mm -hmm. and up until now i had this one song called empty crown that like really unexpectedly blew up and so many people on a daily basis DM me being like, your song helped me get get me through like my mom's cancer, like et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just like, I I'm doing what I wanted. Mm, and yeah. I think ultimately that's so, it feels good and fulfilling. And like, even though I'm not at a place where I'm like, I'm rich, I'm famous, I'm <laughs> well known. I think the the fact that I'm like helping in these little small ways, it's like, fulfilling to me that might be self-serving but <laughs> yeah. can i highlight a couple of cool things and then trevor i want you sure. to riff riff on it too like 
the thing that I think is really phenomenal about your story is that you really sat down and you're like, okay, there are four ways that I can make money. Let me try each of them. <laughs> you found that none of them really sparked joy outside of forging your own path and writing your own music. And then you then had enough audacity and self-love and confidence to then pursue that instead of listening to what other people think you should be doing. So I wanted mm. to applaud you. Thank you. On that. <laughs> and the other thing that I wanted to like really talk about is how I love how you are recognizing and have gratitude for the effect your music is having now <clears throat> without money, without the fame or all that other stuff. Because I'm finding that when you achieve le- these like little steps of success, that's not happiness. The the climbing the stairs is the happy part. And the fact that you're grateful and that you're really sitting in that and you're feeling the positivity you're putting out into the world, that's the that's the the zone, I think. And I wanted to highlight that for the faking fam. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you for sharing. I appreciate that. I think it's yeah. I think ultimately when you work towards a goal and you work really hard, the end result may, is that much sweeter mm-hmm. when you're really just like slaving, slaving, slaving away. Because then you're proud of yourself. And I think when you're proud of yourself, you your self-worth levels go up a couple points. And that's always important to feel like you're worthy. And I think without music and without making my own music, I don't know that I would have the confidence, the love for myself, that I the proudness for myself that I think is so important to be like alive and try to get through this world and this life. So I'm, I feel grateful to have music as that source. I think I know you better, never been the first to write I can make it easy for you Shake the olive tree and hold it out So we can move on, put it all behind For sure. That's incredible. What has it been like, particularly with Worth It and just the song for your brother, like to, to create such like intimate music? that really makes you and others feel. My favorite pieces and the things I've worked on have been the ones that make me tear up and then that make right, other people right. cry. I'm just all, all about right. making people feel. But when it comes to putting that down into song <laughs> and then unlike classical music, a song that people will actually hear, that's something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what went into the mindset of, I'm going to put this down into lyrics, into song. I'm going to release this. What I'm creating will be time-stamped. I think how I started is I kind of wrote down a bunch of my thoughts when it came down to my brother, like kind of super just like word vomity almost. Different memories that are really strong with him and Mm -hmm. different things that I experienced with him in our dynamic. And then I looked at that list and I was like, how do I make this into a story? And so there's definitely a mixture of different elements. And it's also really important to figure out how to do it without coming off corny. My biggest fear is probably to be corny. Me too. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I see corny motherfuckers, I'm like, you're nasty. (laughs) I don't feel like Cringe. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I want to come off as original and I want to come off as like thoughtful in my lyrics. I know a lot of people, they just kind of like, put put whatever down as long as it fits the rhythm mm-hmm. as long as it sounds good and i might be a, a flaw too i'm like a little too selective and 
I have this buddy, Taylor. Drew, you've met Taylor. He has really helped me come out of my, like, songwriting shell. We sit together, and it's really nice to have a collaborator because they can see your story outside of you and outside of your emotions and also, like, with a new lens, right? So we ultimately just kind of looked at that list of the things that I wrote and then decided what made sense to put in the song, what made sense to kind of elaborate on. And you guys will see what I mean when the song comes out. You can you can definitely see which which certain experiences I'm talking about. One of the things I said, I think it was like, tell me or your, all your stories, I don't want to sleep tonight. Mm-hmm. And that was talking about an experience where he came home from like a trip or something and I was very young and then I just couldn't sleep. And so I went to his bed and we're just like talking for four hours about his stories on his trip. And mm-hmm. so it's like little, little moments like that. And I am personally super excited for that song to come out because I think it'll be super cathartic for me. Mm-hmm. And like in my healing of this unfortunate situation, and I'm excited to share that story because I haven't really shared that in a public way before. And I think that's something a lot of people go through, just like broken family dynamics that are too complex to fix in certain ways. And yeah, I just think it's something a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. That's incredible. It looks like you're really going for, the word that came to my mind was sincerity. And at least to me, like the more sensitive the topic is, the more aware, the more work, the more effort I really put in to make sure to avoid that corniness. But also the bar just gets higher and higher the more weight there is behind the track. Like, did this one, did this one take the longest or did you fret over it the most? It's probably one that I just wanted to be the most perfect. I know for the mix, I was like unusually (laughs) picky with it. And like dangerously, so like taking too much time and I couldn't help but feel like it's probably because I just wanted it to be as perfect as it could Mm be because that's, that's my heart right there. I think ultimately that's what musicians do when they're really involved in telling their story is like you cut off a piece of your heart and you're like giving it to the world. You're like, here, I hope you like it. And so it's definitely scary to be that vulnerable, but I think what's most important in this lifetime more than the music more than anything is to like connect with people i think that brings me the most fulfillment on a day-to-day basis whether it's that moment when you're like smoking a cigarette with a friend on the stoop and you're like talking about something and you like remember that moment later or when someone confides in you and something and they they trusted you those are the moments that i think matter the most in terms of our growth as like people and that's really my only like strategy on this is I just need to make music that feels like that. Mm. I mean, I just wanted to highlight, you didn't say, for, for everyone out there listening, you didn't say, oh, like the moment that defines my career is like winning a Grammy, recording on this film soundtrack, doing this, like these external validations. And that's something that going to these colleges, winning stuff, performing behind some big name person. In the moment, that feels like that's the big thing. Aha, I've done it. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to feel different, <laughs> which just never right, happens. Right. But all of these like little moments, when we look back and I think of college or some of these other experiences, I was like, it's like, damn, I should have just hung out more. I don't remember the feeling of winning something or all that thing that teacher said in that class was really important. No, I don't remember any of it. I remember these little right. moments of being with yeah. friends sitting on the stoop. So it, it is great to hear you say that and have a nice reminder of like, that's really what we're going for. We're waiting for someone to comment on Empty Crown. Like, 
this helped me get through something. Exactly. And it's funny that you bring that up because I've been filling out a lot of PR campaign. What are you the most proud of questions? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's not that I've played at the Grammys or Coachella. It's not that I've been on big people's names. It's actually that I've like just survived up until this point and grown. Max. (laughs) I'm still here, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Just to give you guys like a, a little insight into why I say that is because I had a really hard time mentally in college like I I went through a lot of mental health problems during that time partially because I left home 2,000 3,000 miles away was alone here was still trying to figure myself out I was pretty sheltered growing up and yeah I was just thrown into this big world right and so I developed like pretty bad depression in college pretty bad post-traumatic stress disorder that I had to actually take time off school Mm -hmm. and I really didn't think I was gonna make it through that So to me, I'm just happy that I came out of that darkest period of my life alive. And that is what what I'm most proud of, because I feel like at this point, I can get through anything that life throws at me if I could have gotten through that phase. New York and L.A. are not, (laughs) for both of those, are not great places (laughs) to be college aged. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's just so much going on. And alone. Like, it's just the weight of the world. And, And to have moved entirely across the country about as far away from where you were originally. Hats off to you. No, thank you, thank you. I definitely think it's a a growth pain period, and especially if you come from an immigrant family where mental health might not actually be a priority, and maybe you've been dealing with some stuff before. Like, I've had depression since I was seven. Like, I've actively known that that was something I've had a problem with. Once you're in a position where you have to be on your own and figure it out and this, these feelings get more overwhelming than ever and you have a crazy course load on top of that i was trying to fi- i finished a double major in four years somehow with taking time off mm. so it's just so much pressure to succeed so much pressure to figure out who you are and who your like who your friends are who has your back there's like, so much socially that happens during that time period and i think it makes or breaks a lot of people Can you actually talk a little bit more about like the social aspect? Like, honestly, people who are of our ilk tend to like, which is conservatory trained people. There is such a lack of emphasis on social skills and connection with people because there is this competitive spirit that is inherently bred in us. Mm -hmm. These are your friends, but... In the future, you may be trying to get that same job, so don't get too close. <laughs> that's that's a pretty toxic kind of main mentality. So I'm I'm wondering, like, what are some skills that you've cultivated as a freelancer that you find are really helpful? I mean, even I was in a clubhouse the other day where I was kind of talking about, look, you need to network differently. Everybody goes into relationships trying to get value from each other rather than trying to figure out how you can provide value to them. Mm-hmm. What are some like social skills that you've gained as you started developing friendships here in LA? Because I've found friendships in LA tend to have a color of not indifference, but just kind of like strategic nature behind Oh, a hundred percent. Especially if you're working in the music industry, it's always, what can I do now? So that person scratches my back mm-hmm. later. Right. I think what the, the strategy that I've done, I'm not sure if this is like the correct one or the one that will get you the most far, but personally, I try to be 
as much myself as I can. And I don't expect that it's for everyone. So I don't take it personally if someone didn't vibe with me because it just means that they're on another frequency. They're not wrong. They like blue and I like pink. They're just different. And I think getting over the initial competitive feeling as an example. So Drew and I have this friend Camille who plays violin. Mm -hmm. This is a story that she tells a lot, but (laughs) she's a year under me and she's this like beautiful half Asian violinist. And she was better than me in violin still is. And of course I was very threatened when she came in. I was like, I'm the pretty violinist here. there's, There's no room for another one. And so I started from that point on, I was like, I need to get over this and I need to become her best friend so that I don't feel like she's a threat. And that's exactly what I did. And I think quite often when we meet new people, new string players, like new whatever, like we have this initial fuck you for no reason, no reason Mm -hmm. at all. And so my strategy is to know that that's going to happen, be conscientious of it and try to get over it by like probably overcompensating in friendship. Mm -hmm. Great strategy. Yeah. And I think what's really helped too is like, making sure that other people get fed even if you can't so if i have a gig and i know i can't make it i'll be sure to put someone that i know in that spot and that way they feel like i have their best interest and that i'm wanting to give them opportunities i try my best to get like all my friends opportunities especially if i'm like do you need a violist do you need a cellist like i know someone and that way two things my friends get fed and then the second thing is I get to be around people I know I like, right? So it's, I don't have to deal with bullshit of having to work with people I might not like working with. So I think ultimately the best thing to do is just be you and don't expect everyone to like it and don't take it personally. Cause I think that's helped me a lot. I love Incredible. that. I love what you said, particularly about giving opportunities to, to people that, you, and that's part of the game too, is at some point you have to make a, de- a decision as an artist Am I going to play some more weddings? Do yeah. I want to do more weddings? <laughs> or is there somebody who's in college who has bills to pay and, and exactly. needs, needs that gig? So maybe I pass that forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that you mentioned that because I think that's important too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Another thing too is when, when I give out gigs, not only do I like, like them and I want to trust them, but I like to give them to people who I know who also give them out. Because right, right, we, right. we all know a few people who just don't send things down the ladder. Unfortunately, it's not in their nature. Maybe it is it is the competitive mindset or just something else. Like when someone asks them and they think about the opportunity, they just say no, and then it's just left there. But right, right, right. I'm probably less likely to refer them because I want to have someone who is cultivating that community, that network, who if I don't know someone, if I, I can trust them to also send that out to the right person and the person who needs the gig at the time. Yeah, that and also like when you when you refer someone, that's your name on the line too. So it's if homeboy doesn't show up, if if oh someone's super God. late, then that makes you look bad mm-hmm. as the person that referred them. So I try to make a character judgment in that moment. I'm like, can this person handle it? And most of the people that I've grown around are also conscientious of the fact that my referral is my name on the line. So they... Luckily, like they do a lot of that work too, and they just handle it. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, huge, huge point, faking fam. The one rule that I made for myself when I started 
taking on student debt <laughs> was like, dude, this is a job. <laughs> like if you don't show up on time for your gig, if you can't play the music, doesn't matter if it's a wedding, doesn't matter if it's a background corporate gig, you better play like your life depends on it. Because you're not just performing for the people who are there as the audience, you're performing for your colleagues. The people that you're in that quartet with, the people that you're at the gig with, if you really aren't a part of the collective and you're not representing yourself to the best of your ability, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I'm so glad that you touched on that. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been on both sides. I've gone to a gig completely unprepared. I remember this is one gig I did, a wedding in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Embarrassing sight reading for me. <laughs> Just like it had been it had been a while since I looked at sheet music because I have transitioned away from classical and into this, you know, what we would probably call easier level of sheet music. Yeah. And I I'm not afraid to admit that I have lost my chops big time. And I remember after that wedding, I was like, I can't do that again. It's better to just say no if, if I can't get the music ahead of time because I don't want to embarrass those other people that are playing with me that are pros. I've bumped into some things with that too. Like we, we've all done it. Over time, we learn that, hey, I got to deliver every time. But particularly in that transitional age, mid-20s, oh, this one doesn't pay as much or I'm angry because it didn't pay me as much or... <laughs> Something right, I, turned, right, right. I couldn't play at the Grammys because I said yes to this gig three months before. But then we phone it in. Yeah. And at least for a composer, the the big bummer, just like with you as a recording artist, that's permanent. <laughs> and people don't know. There's no yeah. disclaimer. There's no asterisk at the bottom of this film score composed by Trevor. Asterisk. He phoned this in. Like, they don't get to know. <laughs> and so more often than not, I've had some like, wonderful reminders universal celestial punishment is that the the thing I didn't put 100% or wasn't, I didn't feel connected to, it's more often than not the thing that will get noticed or that winds up being more public or wins something. No, you never know which gig is going to turn out to be important. Playing some of those corporate gigs, you don't know who is in that audience. One of the four people that might have paid attention could be your next employer could be your biggest supporter. We just never know who we're playing with, who we're working with at the time, is going to be around for the future story, is going to become a main character. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how I got my first manager, is I I showed up to this gig where this girl hit me up and she was just like, it's my boyfriend's birthday tomorrow. Can you come at seven in the morning to play violin? I'm like, fuck no. But I was kind of hurting for money. So I was just like, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, I, and I went and it turned out that the person whose birthday it was, was a manager of Murder Beats. And so he ended up like helping me out a lot in the next year and a half to come after that. And I was like, thank God I showed up. Thank God I showed up to that. And also, alternatively, that wedding gig. Like, I still see those players around at different gigs. And always, I have a flashback to Mexico when I just couldn't read the fucking music. (laughs) And I was just like, it's okay, I'll just go kill myself now. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you something, Yasmin. This is why a friendship with me is going to be really fun. Come by and play some chamber music. Seriously, I'm always... That's how you do it. Honestly, the the reason why I can do session work that's like really difficult is because I just, I'm in the gym, like you just, just in the gym, reading some Mozart, 
reading reading some Beethoven and getting used to reading sheet music because like yeah. that in and of I itself. I need to get back in there because it's just like come on. What I've been doing lately, just for fun, is I'll just bring up a symphony that I really liked, and on IMSLP I'll just bring up. Yeah. And it's so funny because the other day I was like, I want to do Don Juan because that was something I did, and oh, then gosh. I looked at it, and I was like. I looked at it, I was like, how was I ever able to do this in an audition? And just like, really sad that I lost those chops in in some ways, but also excited to have the time. Right now, definitely, there's no time. I'm barely above water, but I'm excited to rediscover my love and rediscover my ability to play properly, for sure. Let's jam. Yeah, no, I'm down. I was going to ask you if you, or the whole whole squad, if we could just practice some quartets and shit, because I yeah. I miss it. I miss yeah. playing in a group and the different communications that happen within and those mm-hmm. moments that like you all planned and all that. I miss that. And that's something that I did a lot with Eric, the cellist that, you know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so me and him used to play together a lot and he and I had such a beautiful relationship because we would decide on these moments and he was very like he's older than me and he has very good taste in terms of like where are the parts that we're gonna slow down and take a moment where are the parts that we're gonna be in sync what part of this 16 bar thing do we slow down and speed up whatever and i just like miss those moments a lot and i think i think i'm kind of happy in a a sense because that means i still love violin Mm. yeah that i miss it i was afraid after i went on this i'm gonna make violin my primary source of income whether it's through prop sessions or not there comes this dreading fear that you're gonna hate it after and because i think when you create financial incentives for your passion Mm -hmm. it's just you lose you lose a passion for it a little bit Mm -hmm. And I was definitely feeling that, like, I want to say, like, a couple years back, I was like, I hate violin now. And that sucks because that violin's my first love, right? Mm-hmm. And then now I feel like finally I, I took some space from it and I, I want it back in my life and I want to play. So I'm happy that it's not gone for sure. good at guitar growing up i was only interested in the shredders like back when people cared about electric guitar solos it was wild times but i was very into that and then i put it down entirely to go get a performance degree in bassoon so then it's all bassoon 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 i'm playing in orchestras and then i leave that behind to be a composer and it really was sad so like two experiences two different types of lifetimes that it is hard to be like wait a minute I used to really love playing with people. I miss that. I used to really love making music, performing music. And you kind of like have a little funeral for your past. <laughs> you like you, you <laughs> yeah. the pyre of bassoons. Very expensive. They're very expensive fireworks. Yes. Very expensive but, um, fire. The, it took me a long time to kind of come to terms that reaching a moment of acceptance. And I don't mean that it would like never return, but being like, wait, 
I chose to to go this other path and it's okay and I can kind of come back to it at any time. And while I'm not mm-hmm. when I come back to it, I'm certainly not at the level on either side where I left it off. But it is nice with this kind of hindsight to know that it's okay. You don't have to be a solo concert violinist and then also do all these things. We can't we can't keep track of all these things, but that mm-hmm. at any moment it can be part of you. It's it's never really left. But that, right, yeah, right, it right. just for me, it was a nice moment of acceptance. Be like, wait, I chose this. This is nice. And so what I do now is I keep in contact with my performance past when I'm working on film scores. I just did a full mm-hmm. a documentary. All of it's guitar. All of it's me playing. Is the best? No, but it fits the style of the film. <laughs> Something a little right, rugged right, right. and pure, but I got to come back to it on my own terms and with highly edited sessions. It, many, many, many takes. So it's a different thing. It's the only it's the way. Only way. I feel but like it is you. neat to, like, now where we're at the age we are and we've had school experience, life experience, to be able to pick and choose what we want and what avenue we want to take, pursuing singing, still playing these sessions. I don't know. I think it's fascinating. No, definitely. I mean, I think as I don't know how old you guys are, but like I'm getting closer. I'm closer to 30 than I am to 20 now. And the priorities really start shifting in terms of it's about the long road ahead. It's not about what's right in front of you. And I'm in a relationship and now that's taken a good amount of my bandwidth because I want it to, because it fulfills me, right? I have two dogs now that I take care of and because I want to, and that fulfills me. And you realize there's so many elements of life and it's so hard to be balanced through all of it and not feel like you're not focusing on one thing or another. It's, I feel like it's always some sort, like a juggling act and a balancing act. And, but I think it's, I think it's beautiful because you get to experience more things and you, you get to be more conscious as you move forward. There's more to life. There really is. And it makes you a better artist. Like when you experience life in its depth and many facets, you have more perspectives and more value you can add to your art. And that's something we don't talk about. I feel like this is not meant to be pejorative at all. And this is from my own experience. When you are lonely, when you have nothing else going on in your life other than your work, it's easy to just work all the time Mm -hmm. because you have nothing else. And in some ways, that's good because your career goes like (laughs) often or you have (laughs) or you have time to really construct your product or your brand or, or these different things. But when you when you do have a significant other, when you do have, do have other things that you're trying to build, your perception of art gets better. Your taste grows, but the amount of time you have to devote to your art or to your development decreases. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I love that way, the way you described the balance. I think it's a net positive because we do have this one life and we don't have, have know how much time we have. As somebody who's almost 30, like <laughs> it goes by <laughs> the road. Counting the days. End of the road, you know what I'm saying? Just counting the days. Dude, I have gray hairs all up in my beard. It's so weird. Yeah, I mean, my uh, body does not work the way it used to. I mean, when I drink now, it's two days of hangover. Yes. I, like I keep fat cells in places I don't <laughs> use to get fat cells. <laughs> And just everything hurts. Everything hurts all the time. And I'm like, 
fuck, dude? Yeah, this is what our parents were talking pick about. Up, I pick up a cable <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's like, did I just groan just like bending over, you know, like once? Tying my shoes. Dude, I literally threw my back last week because I, I don't even know what I was doing, but it was very simple. And I was just like, oh my God, this is not good. This is not good. <laughs> I got to eat vegetables. <laughs> my qu- my question for you, yes, because you, I've seen you develop when i moved out here it was 2018 and you were you were the goal i had visited la three times in 2017 two of them i had visited our mutual friend summer sweet sing mm-hmm. and she had nothing but the biggest praise for you and was like the dopest violinist in town is yasmin you gotta meet her and i was like okay i want to meet her never got a chance <laughs> to in all three times so when I decided to move in 2018, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get out to LA before her birthday party. I want to meet Yaz. I want to make this connection. I think she's dope. And so after being at your birthday party and meeting you and getting to vibe with you and meet your friends, and then also seeing your shows, because then you invited me to some of your shows, I, met, I went to go see you perform and I met Jeremy, Jeremy Jones at one of your shows. Oh yeah, performing. that's right. Exactly. Three time so faking fam. You, Three-time <laughs> faking fam uh, visitor and guest and, and someone whom I love. This diatribe is all to say, I've seen you as you've begun your, your journey as an artist. And after performing this live stream show with you, I can say with all confidence that I am loving the direction your sound is going in. Thank and you. And I, I feel such a deep connection with the way you deliver your art. And what I'm really interested in is who are your influences? Because it feels your influences have either changed or you've sat with your influences and you've digested them and they're becoming a part of you. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about that. I would definitely say my music taste is ever changing. And as I continue to get older, it definitely has taken totally different paths than I thought it ever would. So back in... Back in 2018, I was like, I'm doing dark pop, and that's what I love. <laughs> yeah. And I, there's a part of me that still likes it, but I'm kind of like off of it. And I'm really, I really love R&B now. And I don't know that that's going to be forever, but I do know that right now I'm all about the seven and the nine chords. And yes, <laughs> I'm all about the bass solos being super like dirty and. I just like doing this. Everything's super behind the beat. Like mm-hmm. we we recorded the live stream. The live stream. Cats out, <laughs> the, cats out of the fucking bag. We recorded it to a click and we had some track elements in it. And it was just so clearly, like literally milliseconds behind the beat that it didn't even make sense to do by clicks. So it's that's that's the kind of shit I like making now. It's like honestly, I think my goal is to make stuff that people are just gonna be like the stank that face. Stank face for the thing. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and definitely in terms of the artists that I listen to have changed dramatically. Like I used to only listen to maybe pop stuff. Now I listen to like a lot of Frank, a lot of Daniel Caesar, Moses Sumney, Emily King. Like it's mm. it's very much switched. And I think the, this kind of stuff now really resonates with me more. And I think it might just be an age thing too. You know, what you like eating changes. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't like mushrooms when I was 18 and now I love mushrooms, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just- Okay, think- Mario. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just think your taste changes as you as you get older, and that's only natural. And I think it'll probably be ever evolving because you're always growing, and so is the industry and the sounds that are coming out of it. So who knows what kind of music is going to be being made in like the next twenty years? Who knows what I'm going to like? But I do. I am happy that I am okay with the ever evolvingness of it, and that I don't listen to the motherfuckers in the industry that are like trying to box me in. That's really. Let's go. It was really hard for me last year because I got closed door after closed door after closed door. Like I fell into a really big depression by the time quarantine had hit because I was shopping out parts of my project and people were just like, no, I don't see it. Whether it was this one manager that I met with, he was like, I don't know if you have the it thing. Like you might just, you might be a better songwriter. You should look into being a songwriter. So that was one person. The other person was like, you don't have any sound. And then he was like super blunt and direct with me. And then I'd have so many people that after listening to the project didn't hit me back or didn't have as much interest. And so it really took some time to make peace with the idea. Like I'm going to stay true to me and whoever the fuck stays on the journey. That's all that matters. Like I don't need to be pulling these people with no imagination, no offense to them, but I'm how many more fucking like, white girls playing guitar are we gonna <laughs> put seven seventy million dollar deals to you know what i'm saying oh there's just yeah like i just think it would serve the overall i don't know the overall backdrop of the industry more if people took more creative risks one of my biggest things is funding right now i'm paying everything out of pocket and it's extreme mm-hmm. like each mix is minimum $1,300 each video Mm -hmm. I do is between five to eight. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to keep on creating the stuff that I want to create without putting myself in bankruptcy? (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. My hope for the future is that more people that are in positions to help finance these things are willing to take risks with potentially bigger return too. Because Mm -hmm. I think ultimately someone that's wanting to connect as an artist to the listeners is something that will sell. And the fact that it's genreless is something that will sell. It's just hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's always placing like super safe bets. And I think that doesn't serve the growth of the industry as a whole. If you're always just doing what's been done and what sounds like the stuff that's succeeded, like how are we going to grow? How are we going to continue making more music and exploring so you sound like seth godin right now (laughs) (laughs) i love this i'll take that as a compliment it's something i like struggle too i'm like not like a performing artist but just on the composer side well what how do i get film stuff out there how do i get my contemporary classical how do i get this production thing and and everyone's oh well you don't we we had on uh, a recent guest dylan witherow who is just fantastic super prolific oh yeah and he was kind of like spotify hacking I guess, to where he just has so many various named projects. He's got his own personal music. It's under his mm-hmm. name. This one's under this name. And and he did that because he knows this is going to get a million hits under this style on Spotify. It's mm-hmm. going to help mm-hmm. me fund my personal thing. This has this threshold. So he, I think he realized like the trickiness of the al- algorithm. And so his personal mm-hmm. approach was to have these buckets but he's pursuing all of them so it is a little different than okay you got to go in and you're just this and this is who you are and five years you got to do five years of this one thing so he's at least bucketing it but uh, i mean i struggle with that too because it's well all of this is me and just like all of 
all of their genres exactly. is you. And instead of you're not even doing like the the natural growth of a Lincoln Park or Coldplay every five years, the sound kind of changes or you're doing it like every two months, like the sound changes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love that. I think there really is a place for that because in the end, it's not just the the music in pop. Like it's the person mm-hmm. we love. Right. Right. The person. And so if, if people are, are, if they like you, they're going to, they'll follow, they're going to follow you on that journey. Exactly. Exactly. And I think ultimately it's crazy to think that someone's like vibe wouldn't change as they're continuing to get to know themselves better as an artist. And as you continue to get better and better, better, like your, your interests are just going to change. And so I think as long as everything feels like it has some sort of string of connection, and that's probably by the, the production decisions in terms of the sounds that I like, the writing decisions in terms of the melodies and like the, the words. I think ultimately there will be some sort of line that strings them along together. And hopefully that can be like who Yaz is. One of our uh, previous guests, uh, Leah Zeger. Mm, love Leah. Love yeah, her episode just went live yesterday as of this recording. And one of the things that she talks about is like when you produce music and you produce albums and you release them, they are a timestamp of who you were at that moment. Moment, 100%. And I think that's so powerful. Yeah, I think even like the stuff I put out in 2018, do I feel like it resonates with me now? No. But did Mm -hmm. I feel like it resonated with me then? Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about tattoos. It's like you might not want a tattoo that you've had six years after, but in that moment, you just have to get it Mm -hmm. because you want it. (laughs) It's funny that you bring Leah up because she's one of the few session players that I've met. I met her on a session. I just like loved her immediately. We were both like, wow, we didn't want to kill each other. We're both violinists. How weird. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And we just, we, we felt like this from the mm. get. So that's an example of a female, female violinist, two violinists getting along. Like that's very mm. uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it disintegrate in front of my eyes. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> just, like, just people, e- even at the gig, just really, okay, so that wasn't really, did you mean to play it like <laughs> no, that? No, Are you God. sure about that? <laughs> Oh it my just, God. Family oh, dynamics. God. She's lovely. Music. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Even like session sessions, like somehow some people have slipped through the cracks that really don't deserve to be there. It's kind of crazy. Like you see some players and you're just like, how are you at the same gig that I am? How? And you realize like that these non-classic classical sessions, they have a lower threshold because people don't know because mm-hmm. people can't tell the difference. And inevitably it's interesting to be around people of the highest caliber and also people that you're like, why are you even here? (laughs) It's weird. It's a wide market. And it's so funny juxtaposing it against New York. The New York studio session scene is like, you don't even get calls if you didn't go to Manus or MSM. Because like they know, They, they know where the best players are and what they're doing. And out here, there's such a bigger demand. New York's a tiny island. They're not mm-hmm. going to be any more recording studios. There's a cap yeah. mm-hmm. at the number of professional recording studios that can have sessions that can happen in New York. But mm-hmm. out here in LA, everybody's got a garage in the back that's a studio. <laughs> there's so much more demand. I'm wondering, from your perspective as a successful musical entrepreneur, and I just say successful because it's not about numbers or the amount of money, but you're doing what you love. And you're able to sustain yourself and the life 
doing it. What are the top skills that you think are required to really, and it doesn't even have to do with music, but just what are some mindsets that you've adopted that have helped you to continually wake up and get shit done? Yeah, totally. I think one really huge thing that I did was for three years, all I did was save my money. When I first started, so I don't know if I uh, mentioned this before, but I actually worked a corporate job before I went back into music full time because I was afraid financially. It's not like I had a family that was like going to be able to give me money to start or what whatnot. So what I did after that, I like went back into teaching and I had nothing to my name because I, I was just so I would I wanted to die at that corporate job, <laughs> not because it was the corporate job. It was just like just not mm -hmm. for me sitting sitting down in front of a computer filling out fucking google sheets like it's not for me so i had zero money to my name at the time i couldn't even buy like a juice at the fucking grocery store because it was seven dollars too much mm -hmm. right so i went into like just power save mode and just took a bunch of shit like shitty shitty gigs to just and like save 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 and over time i just like stopped saying no to anything like i was just taking i was like i just need this money for later need this money for later and then i got myself to a point where i felt like there was enough of a financial cushion if i wanted to do this thing with my music if i wanted to pay for it now i have it because i worked my ass off and just put everything into an account that i couldn't touch right I love that. So I think it's really important for musicians, especially because we're always going to have rainy days, months where we don't get gigs and we stress out. It's always okay. But it's like those moments when you feel like financially crunched are hard or mm. very hard. And so I think in order to keep maintain a well-being, it's really important for the months that you do have thriving, put it somewhere and don't touch it. If you don't need to touch it, don't touch it. And so that, that was super helpful for me. And then the next thing is to just realize that this stuff is going to take time. I think there was a part of me that was always like, overnight success, that's what yeah. I want. <laughs> that's then, the only way I'm going to be happy. And then you, you realize <laughs> that that era is kind of gone in terms of like, no one sells physical copies anymore. So no one really makes money off of streaming anymore anyway. You'd have to be going on tour mm -hmm. and making merchandise and whatnot. And so realizing that it's going to, take a while and being okay with that time frame and not trying to rush yourself. If you're not there yet, you're not there yet. And you're not going to get there. And I think the last few years I was like, I'm not there. Like, well, I'm not there. I'm working so hard. And then I realized like, now I'm starting to get there. And now I'm starting to see what I'm capable of. And just like, that amount of time that you put makes the reward so much more delicious and it makes it worthwhile. And so I think if someone came to me, three years ago and told me, just let it, let it ride. That was something that was really important for me as I've continued to grow. And then lastly, as a third point, I think to remember that you do have to still have outside experiences outside of your work in order to make your work happen. Like all my songs are about personal experiences of mine, whether it's like someone broke my heart or something bad happened. Like those are all things that you need to experience and you need to make time to experience mm. them. So you can't just be like, in some ways, like <laughs> you have to have content for your writing and you have to have content for like your creation. So it's, there is a healthy amount of life you should be experiencing. Don't say no to the guy or the girl that likes you because you don't think you have space for them. What, whatever relationship that might come out of it serves you in that moment in time. 
And you don't have, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing game. Like I see so many musicians being like, I don't have space for a relationship right now. And I'm like, you might be saying no to the best thing that's happened to you ever. And you might be saying no to an experience that could really elevate your music. And so don't say no to that and go, go to that party, like whatever, go experience those things. So you have something to say. Cause I think if you're just sitting at your desk all the time, you might not experience those things and your music might be fucking boring, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And personally for me, I've always been a hard lover. Like I fall hard, even with my friends, like I give them 140%. It's like overwhelming to a lot of people. And I finally found like my little niche of people that are like, okay with how much, (laughs) how invested I get in them and stuff. But I think ultimately like it's okay to live life a little bit because it'll only help you and as long as you know where your boundaries are with it in a healthy way i think that's that's all you can do that's beautiful the one takeaway looking back in hindsight oh i wish i'd learned about money sooner oh i'd learned piano sooner but no actually if i could talk to my past self and when i talk to younger people still in school get out of the practice room and go to the party like that's it. Yeah. Live a little. That extra thirty minutes you were gonna put in on F minor is not as worth it as putting it into friends and like just having an experience. Yeah, and ultimately you're probably brain dead and so scattered at that point anyway that those extra thirty minutes aren't gonna serve your practice. This happened to me last night, Drew. I was trying to figure out a million different things and I wouldn't go to sleep. And John just looked at me. He was like, "Put your fucking phone down and go to sleep." <laughs> And I was like, you're right, because all I've been doing for the last two hours is trying to figure out where the scattered pieces of my brain are and fit them in a place. When you're like at your capacity, stop pushing. If you can't write that day, don't push because you're just going to be mad at yourself. Like it's okay to take time off and wait until you feel invigorated again. Wait until you feel like you've had a break. I think it's something that a lot of us myself included, need to keep it in mind. Like we need to take breaks for this kind of lifestyle to work. It's a marathon. Yeah. It's a marathon. Yasmin, I, I don't want to keep you for much longer. We're getting close to the end of this conversation, but mm-hmm. I wanted to like get one, maybe a couple more questions, a couple rapid fires. Totally. My, my first one is crypto question mark. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. <laughs> I, I have stocks. I'm very bad at anything graph math related like the minute i see a graph my brain literally shuts down so all i do is hold i don't do the 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 short sell and the the shit in the six in the morning but what i do is i have one of my best friends eric who drew he's very successful in that so i always just hit him up like every couple of weeks i'm like is there anything new i need to be looking at whatnot so yeah but 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 crypto have you done I, I have some like bitcoin. bitcoin i mean i don't have a full full stock of bitcoin or anything <laughs> a but couple coins, I, couple I do coins. this i do this thing where i trade 25 dollars of usdc coin a day mm. to turn it into bitcoin nice. and it's just on auto so it just does it by itself Smart. every day and i think yeah i just i also have different like intelligent investments that just like robo investing yeah so made it. just withdraws a certain amount of money a month and does all that so you got dialed in the less work i have the better because i have only so much bandwidth for what i was already i mean that's the smartest way too a lot of there's a lot of data on this like the best thing you can do is just like a little bit and automate it and for particularly for those who have money anxiety or who like aren't on top of it like the best thing you could ever do is just to have it off your mind don't even think about it oh it's just 25 bucks It, it goes in here 
It goes in here. And then yeah. one day you wake up 10 years later and you're like, holy shit, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, 40 years uh, later. For, yeah. That's the 40 years of compounding later. I'm, later, I'm right? not at that point. I've not woken up with that feeling yet. But it. Would you smart. have a podcast if you were a millionaire? Oh, Trevor Baumgartner. Absolutely. It'd be a that Trevor Baumgartner's Millionaire Podcast. <laughs> and that's all I do. Just, no, but it's just really smart. You just made a lot of smart choices, and it wasn't an easy journey to get there. But I'm happy to see it. One of my rapid fire questions is can, Will you talk a little bit about the stress or the approach to investing money in yourself and your own projects? Me, as a classical composer and as a performer, almost everyone else is fronting the bill. The bill is tiny, but I'm rarely like, I'm going to drop thousands of dollars on me. I've almost never done that. I'm stingy, but then I don't have much to show for it. Your music videos yeah. look fucking awesome. They look expensive. <laughs> Tell yeah. us about that process. Okay, so this Saturday I'm filming one where I'm going to be like a humanoid fish creature situation. I'm getting prosthetics done on my face. I'm going to be in a tank, literally like an enclosed tank. There's going to be a gurney where people are like, we've bought hundreds of different props for it and stuff like it's fucking stressful because like when you decide to be an artist you forget that artist is all encompassing that means you have to be having a vision for visuals and videos that means you have to be able to do pr stuff and have interviews and be able to do these kinds of podcasts that means you also have to be on top of your music and on top of all the admin that goes around all of that it's actually insane how much work being an artist is. And I'm finally starting to get a taste of it because I'm finally doing it mm -hmm. for real. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just even these videos, I don't know what part of me thought it was a great idea to commit to two videos and two songs every seven weeks. It's literally insane. But my manager was like, you can do it. And so I've just <laughs> been like, okay, like we can do it. And granted, he does a, a lot of help. I would not be able to do any of it without him. But that being said, it is crazy because you have all this extra things you have to worry about. And at least for me, like one of my biggest hobbies is watching movies. So like my taste and how I want my music videos to look is going to be cinematic, is going to be filmy. So the idea for, you know, these next segments is that every visual will be based on one of my favorite directors. So the first one was Quentin Tarantino mm. for oh, the one where I'm in a, in a bloodbath. It's, <laughs> it's just so gory. My favorite movie ever is Kill Bill. Oh, one and so two. good it is. Yeah, so it that's is. what I was like kind of trying to channel in that. And this next one, we're going to be doing Guillermo del Toro, which is like more like f fantasy related Pan's stuff. Labyrinth's and my like, favorite movie. Yeah, and pa time. Pan's Labyrinth is amazing. So sad. And also Shape of Water I love. And Shape of Water is kind of like loosely what I'm basing this idea of. This this idea that there's this uh, girl in a tank and she's some sort of creature and she's being held hostage. And the song that I'm doing it for is For Free, Drew, which you love. Oh. And it's all about, that song particularly is about like, how sometimes you f can feel like you're not being a good enough partner to someone that gives you so much, right? Mm -hmm. And... So the idea is that we're going to translate that by having this scientist like study a creature and then he de devotes his entire life to studying that creature and then he just loses his whole self. And at the end, the idea is that he's going to turn into a sea creature himself. He injects himself with something and turns into a creature. That's so and, beautiful. Yeah, so very expensive and very fucking stressful, <laughs> but I am 
so excited to see i've got this really dope buddy of mine his name's eric rojas he kills his music videos he just did one for cascade that looks like they're in space Whoa. for oh, in shit. yeah okay so i'm really looking forward to seeing it and i hope ultimately the idea is that i i will finalize a deal i have a couple on the table right now where i have enough money to just do all this without being worried mm-hmm. and be able to do my vision without skimping because right now i'm definitely doing skimping all the stuff's getting returned via amazon after i'm done you know what i mean like yep it's a yep. it's a hustle for sure mm-hmm. but what it is is it's an investment mm-hmm. too like you're yes. viewing yourself yes. as a music business and in order to be in operation you have operating costs and exactly so from your wonderful insight in understanding that working hard hustling to save your money not to spend your money on starbucks and extra guac like Mm -hmm. you're you're literally investing this and putting it away not touching it so that one day you could use it to create your own digital real estate which is the personification of your art and then that Mm -hmm. is what people will know you for and then that will help get your flywheel moving i'm endlessly inspired by you um thank you for real and thank you, thank I appreciate you for being that. here. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's an honor for me to be talking to you guys. It's always nice to be able to be real and not feel like a lot of pressure. And especially Drew, like I've known you for so long that I feel like I could be like my most genuine, authentic self. And mm-hmm. thank you for allowing me to do that. And of course. yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it seeing this full episode <laughs> we, 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 got, we, we gotta about. get you back we gotta get you back when you when the album comes Which yeah i would still, love that that yeah. would be in around august september Sweet. Cool. depending on if i can keep up with myself <laughs> <laughs> well if you need help just let me know look i mean i'll be making all these muffins if you need if you need some fuel yeah I would oh love gosh. some fucking muffins <laughs> okay i would I'm, love I'm, some muffins <laughs> i'll make you some muffins i love it yes <laughs> Thanks again for coming through. We'll see you again. Thank we'll you, see Trevor. You again. Sounds good. Sounds good. Alrighty. That's that's the show. Amazing. That was so fun, you guys. I love how the conversation just like flows. There's no pressure.